Welcome to Connect to Joy. Your host, Carol DeShane, is an intuitive spiritual guide for practical matters and Marconic multidimensional energy practitioner. Her quest is to help you realize new possibilities, discover and release what holds you back, and enable you to manifest an inspired life filled with joy. Join us on this journey of transformation. Now, here's your host, Carol DeShane. Welcome, beautiful spirits. Today, we're going to be talking about the secret to finding joy after divorce with my guest, Martha Bodyfelt. I'm excited to talk to her about this because so many people suffer and can't seem to move on. After all, almost 50% of marriages in the United States end up in divorce, and that's huge. And we might feel guilty, feel shame, feel depressed, stuck, or just plain awful. Healing can take a long time. And some people, well, they never really heal. They carry all that baggage around with them all the time and into every future relationship they have. Finding joy after divorce? Well, it can get a little tricky. Before we go any further, let me introduce my guest, Martha Bodyfelt, so we can get her take on some of this. Martha is a certified divorce recovery coach who teaches divorced women how to break free from the patterns that keep them stuck so they can feel fulfilled, have more fun, and live fearlessly. In the past five years, she has professionally coached over 100 women using the Lionheart Method, sounds interesting, a no-BS empowering solution that helps women recover from divorce pain and thrive in a matter of weeks, not years. Martha has also served as a divorce expert contributor to the Huffington Post, Elephant Journal, Psychology Today, and Thrive Global, where her advice has impacted over 10 million people worldwide. She's also offering a special discount to listeners of this podcast, and I'll let you know about that later on. Welcome, Martha. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, Carol, and I can't wait to speak with all of your listeners about how to reclaim your joy and find your self-worth and courage after the devastation of divorce. So I'm really excited to speak with everyone. Thank you. I am so happy that you're here, and I know from my own divorce that it can be tough. And sometimes for some people, way tougher than other people. And not knowing why or how, I think it's the big thing that we all look at. Why does one person recover faster than another? And how do we get through that minefield when it's us that's not recovering quickly? Or how can we help someone else maybe going through it? Absolutely. So before we get into all of that, I know that you were divorced yes. as well. You want to share a little bit about your own divorce story? Sure, I'd love to. So I was divorced pretty young. Well, to be honest with everyone, I was actually married very young, way too young, looking back on that with the uh, the 2020 hindsight. But then I had a very kind of rocky, tumultuous marriage for about six or seven years. And I remember after that, this was around the time of Eat, Pray, Love. And I don't know if any of the listeners have read that, but I really struggled with kind of that idea of oh, you should just go and travel somewhere and then you'll come back and you'll feel great. And I didn't feel great for years and years afterwards. And I remember trying to do the travel. I actually quit my job and I traveled the world for four months and I came back and I learned a lot and I'd been through a lot of experiences that really shaped and strengthened my confidence but I was still really struggling after divorce. And so like many of the listeners who may be going through the same thing, not only right after their divorce, but maybe six months, a year, two years, three years after divorce, sometimes we feel lost. 
We don't have that identity that we did when we were married. We don't know who we are because we had lived our lives for years, sometimes even decades as part of a couple. And that had really shaped our identity. And I made all of the mistakes trying to find joy, trying to find happiness, trying to find connection, and really trying to find who I was. For me, what the thing was coming out of that, and it took far longer than it should have, It was after that story that I had friends who were getting divorced years after I did who said, well, hey, Martha, you've been through a divorce before. Can you help us with X, Y, Z? And what I found with a lot of folks, they didn't need help with the logistics. They didn't need help with the legal or the finance, but they really needed help with that who am I kind of aspect afterwards, that how can I have joy Mm. again? How can I have happiness again? How can I find purpose again? And I guess you could say that was my calling. And I ended up starting to write for the Huffington Post, started a blog about how to find joy after divorce and really kind of reclaiming your life. And I guess one thing led to another, and I ended up becoming a divorce recovery coach. And it really is my life's work, Carol, to bring joy back and helping folks who do feel stuck and who are struggling after divorce really reclaim their joy and identity. Because you know what? Although divorce is one chapter of your life, you have so many chapters of your life left. And if I can help women and other folks learn how to get that a lot faster without making all the crazy mistakes I did wandering around in the desert for years, then <laughs> that is really kind of me a life well lived. And so that's, I guess, kind of the uh, the Reader's Digest version, if you will, of what brought me here with this call. Well, and you answered two of my questions in one answer. So I didn't have to <laughs> a answer twofer. the That's question. great. That's great. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I was wondering, though, when I was reading the bio, what is the Lionheart method? I read about it on your website as well, but it wasn't totally explained. So maybe that'll help readers as well understand what that is. Absolutely. And I know with coaching, I think a lot of times because I am a divorce recovery coach, it is my job and it is kind of what I consider my sacred duty to get my clients and and my readers over at MarthaBodyFelt.com from point A to point B. But we can't get from point A to point B, just kind of wishing and hoping and making vision boards. So I've noticed, and what I had started to develop after years of teaching women, I've been in the business for uh, five or six years, is I developed a signature method called the Lionheart Method. Now, why Lionheart Method? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Because when I think Lionhearted, I think courageous. I think not being afraid to go out and reclaim who you are and find your identity and find your purpose. And also because I am a Leo. Me and too. And so I figured I just, right, look at that, <laughs> hey. Leos unite. And so the Lionheart Method is a four-step process that I have cultivated, created, and patented to help my clients find that joy and that fearlessness and that self-worth after divorce. So the first step is to basically, we dig in deep and get really clear on what the patterns are and the toxic kind of narratives that divorced women are dealing with that are actually keeping them stuck. And it's not just the things like, I am sad or I feel guilty. We are actually all operating on narratives that no longer serve us. And so once we get really clear with that, as I, when I'm working with a client, is then when we can then start dismantling those. And so that's the second step. After we get clear on those narratives and those patterns keeping them stuck, we actually start I like to call it dismantling or also known as taking a stick of dynamite and then just blowing them (laughs) apart and realizing a lot of the people pleasing. That's a big one. A lot of the people pleasing, a lot of the looking for external validation, the things that we particularly even as as women and, you know, our friends in the, you know, males community as well, we are all operating on these narratives that no longer serve us. And so what we do in that second step of the Lionheart methodology 
is to actually blast those apart and then really recognize that we no longer need those to survive and to thrive. And frankly, if we continue to hold on to those, you're not going to get stuck and you're not going to find that joy again. And it's going to get very hard. So the third part then is what I like to call rewiring the DNA. Now we're not going in there. And I think I actually fell asleep in my chemistry class the last time we talked about (laughs) DNA. When we talk about rewiring the DNA, we actually then build up with each client that I'm that I take in basically mindsets and narratives that are full of self-resilience and courage and self-love. And then we identify those and we start to strengthen those up and then realize those are the narratives of I am strong, I am worthy, I derive basic worth merely because I exist, not because of the things that I can do for other people, or if I'm a wife or a mother, but just because I exist, I am worthy. And so when we have those and we rewire that DNA for clients, they get resilient, they get fearless. And then the fourth part is what I call charting your dream map for the post-divorce life of your dreams, which we actually will then plot together all of these incredible things that the client is going to be able to do once they have that self-worth once they have that joy and how to go out and have the rest of their life be absolutely incredible. So I guess in a nutshell, those are the four steps for the Lionheart method. Do you find that people of different ages have different things that they need to adjust? Is it kind of like, or maybe it's cultural or because you've worked with enough women, I'm just curious if it's obvious when you start working with somebody and you see it almost right away, it'll like, uh, and you, they fall into the category that, oh, these are this is this age group. Because the people pleasing seems to be an older age group mm-hmm. for me that I see. I mean, everybody's different, but just generally, it seems like there would be a group in my head. I don't know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. No, it's actually a really good question. And it is interesting, Carol, because what I have noticed is I usually work with women who are, I would say, maybe about 45 to I've even had clients that are 72, but kind of the crux of the women that I work with are in their 50s and in their 60s. And regardless of what led to that divorce, so whether it was infidelity, whether it was they just kind of drifted apart from one another, whether it was, God forbid, an abusive situation, the patterns that I see, regardless of how incredible the women are with wherever they live, whatever their jobs are, whatever their story was that brought them to divorce... There are very common patterns. And I think the most common pattern I do see is people-pleasing. For me, also, that people-pleasing, as I dig in with my clients, it is because they were raised, and it doesn't matter the background that they were, because I do work with a lot of folks who are coming from an immigrant background. I do work with a lot of folks who are coming from religious backgrounds of, of all sorts of different types. And I do see that as a crux that, especially with women, is I want to be the good girl. So I can get the accolades from my parents. Also, I noticed that I work with a lot of women who were the oldest children or the oldest daughters. And it was kind of this, at a very young age, they were these caretakers, that they didn't really have time to be the kid to go run and play and have fun because their parents said, you know what, you have to watch your little brothers, you have to watch your little sisters. And then kind of shouldering that burden, being that caretaker at a young age, then being kind of the straight A student, getting the highest marks, and then trying to please the teachers. And that people pleasing, leading them all through the rest of their lives as well. Then having the pressure to be the perfect mom, the perfect wife, as well as the perfect worker. And so by the time they come to me, it's kind of like that coding that was as long as you make people happy, as long as you make people proud, your life will go perfectly. With their divorce, they realize that narrative is no longer serving them. And it's totally ingrained too to, to, exactly. to unearth it and get it out of there. It must be 
It can either be easy if the person's ready or almost impossible, it seems like, with some people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because there's always a willingness to change. And I think when I work with people who are open to coaching because they've tried everything and nothing has worked. And so they come to me and they say, what can I do? We do kind of dig into that, that what is this people pleasing? What do you want to do for yourself? And that's the thing. They have had that coding and it is so ingrained for decades. You know, if you as a woman are coming to me as a divorced woman and you've been divorced for three or four years and you're still on that because you're at the height of your career, your grown kids are still looking to you for advice or for help. Your friends are still coming, your family members, if your parents are older, they're expecting you to take care of them. That people pleasing is still there but it's no longer working. So it is interesting that we do uncover that people pleasing. And it's almost like they do want to undo that. But what else do they know? And that is where the work of the coaching I do is a divorce recovery coach comes in and really kind of centering ourselves in that self-love and that self-worth and that no need to get that validation. But it can be hard if that is what's a message that you've received for decades from everybody, from society, from your parents, from your husband, from your children, from your boss that isn't something that you can just shake within overnight or whatever. So the work that I do is very intense. We go in, we go deep, but in a sheltered space, a safe space, but with a lot of the accountability. And because I am also a recovering people pleaser who kind of came from (laughs) that environment as well, it is something that I've worked through and the methodology that I've been able to perfect and working with the women that I have I know it's hard, but it's not impossible to to reverse that and find something that serves you better so you can have that joy for the rest of your life, despite the things that you suffered from and the pain that the divorce caused. It doesn't matter because you can still lead that post-divorce life of your dreams and no longer please people. I know as an intuitive spiritual guide for practical matters, I like talking to people who like to get results because Mm -hmm. I want to look at the limiting beliefs and all those things, but I don't just want to stop there. I want to look at them adjust them and have the life be better, which is why I call this connect to joy. Because once you can do that, you're letting go of the lower density, the lower vibrational things is what I usually I refer to them as, which is anger and fear and worry and guilt and all those things. As you start releasing those, then the joy can start filtering in, the peace can start coming in. But if you don't do the whole four-step method that you have, mm-hmm. if you stopped at two or three, then the person isn't complete. And that's why I really appreciate what you do because I want to make sure that my clients get the same thing. I want them to be able to have the entire process to come out the other side and to have a plan, a goal, and that they can see themselves getting. And that doesn't always happen with a lot of coaches. I mean, that's what we're there for. But for some reason, I don't see the people moving on. Absolutely. Right. And it is it is interesting because I think that not all coaches are for for everybody. Not all clients are for all coaches. And so it is. And I think you've probably dealt with this in in your own line of work. But when you can find that match, that's wonderful. And I kind of think kind of that. And I'm not sure if you deal with this as well in your line of work. But when you are kind of focusing on getting rid of those narratives, I like to think of it as... Have you ever come home vacation or come from home from a long trip and you open the refrigerator and you've got the mold and takeout? You've got exactly, (laughs) you've got like the the milk that expired like back in the Nixon administration. You've got like all of like, and so what do you do? You know, good God, I cannot go to the grocery store and get healthy stuff in here because I'm not going to feel great if all of this nasty food and all these nasty products are still in there. So what do you do? You have to go in and you have to get the moldy oranges. I just got back from a trip and I had a whole thing of moldy limes. So this is be- this is way too real for me. <laughs> you have to go in and you have to take out the moldy fruit. 
you have to take out the takeout that has several different life forms growing yeah. and thriving. The old there. lunch meat that's still got multiple colors on it that don't belong. Exactly. <laughs> the fluorescent lunch meat. And so you put on a mask. We all have those now. And you hold your nose and you're digging it. You're digging it out. You put it in the garbage can. You have to wipe it out with the Lysol. You have to air it out. Then you can go and get the health food and all of that. And so I think kind of when we look at attacking those narratives that no longer serve us, those narratives, they're not going to help you get ahead much like that moldy Chinese food is not (laughs) going to make you better regardless of the things that you do. It's going to be there and it's going to continue to stink unless you uproot it. So when we're talking about those patterns that are keeping you from that joyful life after divorce recovery, even after any other kind of dramatic change that you didn't really want or ask for in your life, you have to dig that out for the good stuff to come in. Otherwise, the process isn't going to work. But when you stick to that program and you follow it, oh, what a life that you can have after that. And funny because I find that because I'm the one that asked for my divorce, that it is harder for people, of course, that are kind of bushwhacked and told, well, I thought everything was going fine, although maybe they're lying to themselves. And there is the person saying, I want a divorce, and they're devastated versus Mm -hmm. somebody who asked for the divorce. But then there's the guilt and the worry you're hurting the other person if you actually still care for them, even if you're not feeling anything connection or you know it's not going to be the right thing. Because deciding why can impact how you react and -hmm. how you feel. It's just a different set of feelings, I think, because I didn't have the uh, some of it. I wasn't as devastated because I knew it was coming because I knew I wanted to ask for it. But I had that horrible guilt because I didn't want to hurt him. And so I kept putting it off going, what do I do? I just knew that for me, he would have to have changed a depth because he wasn't who I thought he was. And I wasn't married for a long time. I was married for five years. But so I felt like I didn't want to do that to him and ask him to change at the depth I needed him to in order to have a good partnership. Because then he would maybe be bitter later, he would be angry, he would because and it wasn't fair. And I didn't know if he could do it or not. And I didn't think it was fair for him. I wanted him to have his dreams and his goals and not. It still didn't matter. It still was difficult to go through because he was upset. And we shared space for a while. So that was difficult. So there's all sorts of things going through where you can try and do your own healing. But if you're still sharing space, or you have children, those make things even more difficult. Absolutely. It's not easy. And it, it's interesting, though, because I have worked with clients that they knew the marriage was not working out. And it was, there's been a couple of things. So I usually work with a lot of women who have divorced narcissists. And dealing and surviving a narcissistic relationship is its own type of personal hell. So that's a completely other, I think that's a completely different kind of podcast episode. But it is one of these things that they decided to stay married, at least until their kids graduated from school. And I see this a lot. And then the moment that the kid enlists in their freshman year of college, they ask for the divorce, or they kick the husband out, or they decide to pack up and leave. It's very difficult because they thought they were doing right by their children, that I'm going to stick in it for my kids. I'm going to stay with it. I have to do this. But I mean, that is very interesting as well, because not only are you feeling guilty because you're not being there in a healthy relationship for your kids, and you think, well, if I get divorced, then my children are going to be devastated. But then what actually ends up happening in a situation like that is that you are normalizing being unhappy. You are normalizing dysfunction. And so my clients will come to me if they stuck in that marriage and then initiated the divorce after the kids had, had already left and were adults, if kids ever become true adults. But that's another that's another conversation too. 
And then they're reeling from that. And so it is kind of a situation that if you are struggling with feelings of guilt, which a lot of women do, if they do ask for the divorce, regardless of if they needed it, you know, even that they, they knew that they had to for their own mental health and their own you know lives sometimes, there is that feeling of guilt. But if they had asked for the divorce earlier, there'd be guilt there. But if they stayed in the marriage and they then felt bad because they were in a marriage that they knew no longer served them. And so it is kind of like, I like to think, I think of it as, and I tell my clients, it is going to be damned if you do and damned if you don't, regardless of your decision. And you're thinking of that guilt and you're dealing with that shame. And I initiated my divorce too. So I completely understand that that situation, but it is kind of examining why am I feeling guilty? Am I feeling guilty because I have been conditioned to society to think I need to be this perfect kind of perfect uh, Madonna, like the Mother Mary Madonna, Mm. who has to just be above everything and be a saint. And I think, unfortunately, in our society as women, we do have this expectation, and I'm hopeful it's getting better. I think it is, but it is kind of dealing with the women that I work with who are in their 50s and 60s that I did, oh, you, it's your fault that the marriage ended or something like that. So it is kind of questioning where that guilt actually comes from, questioning where that shame comes from. And it's never just on the surface level of, oh, get over it, because that's not helpful, but we dig in. It comes from a lot of times if you were raised in an unhealthy religious dynamic instead of one that was full of love and acceptance. And so it's uprooting that. It is also, what is this society that you grew up in? You grew up in an environment where it was very much, well, you're the one who has to run the home. Oh, but you also have to be making the money. Oh, you also have to be super attractive to your man, regardless of your age. You have to be this, 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 this. And so there's this burden that when the women come to me, they're struggling with that. You can't fight that by yourself. So get the help you need to release that shame and guilt. And once you can release that, then you can deprogram yourself from those narratives. Otherwise, you're always going to feel bad. You're always going to judge yourself. And it's going to be a lot harder finding that joy because you're going to think that you don't deserve it. And everybody deserves that. I agree. I wanted to ask you, what common mistakes do women make when it comes to finding that joy after the divorce? This is a great question. And I see quite a few different mistakes, but I think the number one is they think that that joy will only come back if they get in a relationship right away. I was answering questions to this one myself and I was looking at this question going, "Mm, I think I'll ask this one. And I thought, that's exactly my first one too. They're only happy in another relationship. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they can't find it on their own. That was exactly what I was thinking. So I'm glad I was on the right path. You were. (laughs) I would give you, when I were in the same room right now, I would give you the gold star. (laughs) And it's so interesting because regardless of the background that brought the clients to me, that is the number one thing I see. And I challenge them to to really kind of think about why is that? And they're like, well, because I want to be with somebody. Okay, but if you're not right with yourself and you're not deriving what makes you happy, there's no way you're going to find that because what's going to happen is you're going to repeat those patterns, have someone who's not right for you attracted to you, which only kind of puts you in a relationship that no longer serves you. And it is a vicious cycle because I've had clients sometimes who've who've been in three or four marriages. And by the time they come to me, they say, I think the mistake that I made was getting in a relationship too quickly because I thought that just being with another person was going to fix me. But unless you fix those problems and deal with your own demons and get the help for that, and that's where divorce coaching comes in, that is going to be a very kind of hard road for you to walk on. So I think that's the number one. I think one of the other big one as well is... The mistake that they make is that they think that 
there is this timeline that, oh, six months has passed since my divorce and life should be perfect. And then they feel bad because a lot of the women that, that I work with are very much high achievers. And they've climbed the corporate ladder. They thrive in whatever career. You know, they're all awesome mothers. And then they they think that, oh, because I'm not, quote, over it, although they don't have the toolbox or they haven't been taught the skills to get over it, then they think they're a loser. They get frustrated with themselves because they think, oh, I'm not completely healed after three months and I've been divorced for three months or I've been divorced for a year or three years. And they put a time to it. And that is going to make you feel bad, even worse. And it's going to compound your feelings stuck. And so I think that those two trying to get in a relationship quickly and trying to think that being with a partner is going to solve the problems that led to the divorce issues in the first place, as well as kind of putting this time limit and this pressure and the scarcity on yourself to, quote, hurry up and get over it. Those are the two biggest obstacles that I see when I'm working with women. Well, and I often say, uh, both on my YouTube and on this podcast, that when women go out and they're doing these things and they're like going in the same relationship over and over and over again, different people looks exactly the same, they don't see it. But if you have a friend who does that and you go, well, they stop with this horrible person that they're around and then they finally break up and you're going, yay. And then you go, shoot, they hit it up with the same person again. It looks like a different name, different face acts exactly the same way. Absolutely. But you can see it on somebody else. You just don't always see it on yourself. So take a look at yourself and see if you're doing the same thing. It's a little harder to admit sometimes. But if you can see a friend who's doing it, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. Because I've seen friends like that where mm-hmm. you just go, oh, my God, get rid of this loser you're with. They're not treating you well. What is your problem? You deserve better. And then they turn around and it's the same person again. Mm-hmm. So it, it's fascinating that you can see other people, but you can't always see it in yourself. Or people are too afraid to be alone. Absolutely. Too. And that is kind of a probably an underlying fear that I see with the women that I work with, as well as the people who subscribe to the blog, is that they are terrified of being alone. I hear so many times, and it's just so heartbreaking, Carol, that I'm going to be alone forever. I'm going to die with 12 cats in in an apartment. I'm thinking, well, first of all, you have a beautiful ranch-style house, and you have two dogs. And frankly, if I was not (laughs) deathly allergic to cats, I would be totally cool being in that ranch-style house or even in a small apartment with a bunch of cats. But I can't because I'm deathly allergic. And I think that is the thing that leads to women after divorce making that mistake is that they are fearful of being alone. That is definitely kind of a question or an issue that I do a lot of work with with my clients to question that, that what is being alone? Have you had time to yourself? And I'll find that a lot of women have gone from their father's house to their husband's house. It's heartbreaking. And I understand that I look at the story of my grandmother and it was like that. I look at the story with with my mother and I look at it with me. And there might have been a couple of years that I was by myself in college and when I was in the army, but it was this from a man's house to another man's house to another man's house. And because of that, you haven't really been able to embrace because you've never had that chance. And because it's unknown, that feeling of solitude, that can be terrifying. If we can collectively, and this is what I work on with my clients, really training them how to find joy in that. And that doesn't mean you have to be a hermit in a cave. Absolutely not. But finding individual things that you can pursue for yourself that'll give you joy. Spending time in non-romantic relationships. Finding things that speak to your heart, such as volunteering for a cause you care about. Going back to school. Taking a French lesson or two. Anything that you want to do that maybe you never had the opportunity to because you were busy helping your parents, being the perfect student, and then going and marrying very young 
now is that time. And that's what I really love about your podcast is when we are talking about finding joy, it is very easy to do that. And this is your golden opportunity after divorce. And once you find yourself single to find those things that make you joyful, that you don't need people's permission for, that you don't need other people's approval for. Besides, as long as it's within the realm of uh, being legal, I never want to advocate <laughs> become an outlaw. Um, those are the things, and I think it is that kind of that fear of being alone. But once you can start getting into that pattern of being alone is not lonely, being alone is not scarcity, being alone is not. I sad. keep trying to tell people that that being alone it doesn't mean that you're lonely. I get lonely moments where I wish I had a partner, but I like being alone. I think I would love being with a partner that was the right partner for me when that time hopefully still comes. But I enjoy being alone. I enjoy the so many things I can do alone. And then sometimes it's like, no, where where are my friends? I need right. to go it's do something. It's a balance. Absolutely. And I think it's it's yeah. um I think it's a good thing to have that balance. And I was after my divorce, for me, it was slightly different that I remember the first month or two, I was terrified of being alone. And so I was finding, we will suffice it to say, Carol, that I was finding attention and love in all of the wrong places. Uh-oh. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But um, then I kind of started to embrace, well, I can't be dating or romantically involved with anybody because I need to spend the time to heal. And what I did, and I remember when I was a, a college student, something I really loved because I lived in I lived in Spain when I was in college was I remember taking a wine class when I lived in Spain. And I remember within the first couple of months of my being alone after my separation, I said, well, let me sign up for a local wine class. And that was just this open this whole new world for me of things to discover and explore and just incredible people to meet. And so it is a balance, though, of finding the things that give you joy that you haven't been able to before. And the rest is going to kind of pan out. It's not to say, oh, you need to live a life of solitude, but finding the things that you want to do by yourself and really fostering those non-romantic friendships and relationships. And so getting that kind of whole well-rounded kind of healing. So when the time comes, if you want to be in a relationship in the future, you'll be ready. And you'll have the standards that you deserve to have the love and the high quality, healthy love that you deserve. But that's not going to happen out of fear. It's not going to happen out of loneliness. And it's not going to happen out of scarcity. You have to find that joy for yourself first. Did you find that the joy with people's upbringing made a difference, finding joy versus how they were brought up? 100%. Because what I see with a lot of my clients is they were raised, I would say, in I got to be careful here, Um, raised in pretty kind of conservative households and pretty religious households. When we are doing the work together in the intensive coaching, there is this whole idea that keeps coming out with my clients of, oh, if you want to do something for yourself, that's selfish. You need to be taking care of your of your siblings. You need to be helping your mother. A big thing of that came up. And so that whole idea that I think a lot of the women that I work with have equated and they have that conditioning of finding joy and being happy is a selfish thing because you're not out helping other people because you're not doing these things that a kind of saintly person should do. And so it is definitely a conditioning thing. And I see that it is that is a common pattern that I see in my clients, regardless of what brought them to me. Is there is that kind of shame-based upbringing and that scarcity-driven driven upbringing that they were raised with that has, has been kind of woven into them for decades. And that's, that's the work that you have to do to unravel that because you deserve to have that joy. It's not only kind of your birthright, but it's your responsibility to find that too. That's the only way you can make 
well, you can't make others around you happy, but it's the only way that people will be drawn to you mm -hmm. is if you are happy within yourself. Absolutely. 100%. Uh -huh. And you find joy. Then people will go, oh, who are you? Well, I like that yeah. little shining light over there. Who is that being? Absolutely. Let me find out who that is. Absolutely. Yeah. I know you mentioned before that you were in, I think you said you were in the army. I was, yes. Um, and <laughs> like a whole I thank other you, time, first like, off, for your service. Oh, it was probably <laughs> some time ago, it sounds like. But you said something about a career-ending injury. How did that experience help you with finding joy, or did it? Yes, I mean, well, no, I mean, it is kind of a, that is a good question. I don't know if it was like a people-pleasing, or it was just, I had this whole idea that after I had gone to college, I knew that I wanted to have a career in the Army. Unfortunately, about two years into this lifelong career that I thought I was going to have, I actually had a spinal injury. It was, I had this emergency surgery to kind of save me from becoming paralyzed. Right after the surgery, they knew that I no longer was going to have a career. It was just operationally, you could not have someone who was recovering from that type of injury, who was going to be dealing with those kind of limitations that happen after that injury to do the job that I needed to do. So my career got cut short. After that, or even when I knew I was going to get discharged because of a medical discharge, to me, that kind of caused kind of a, I would consider it like an identity crisis, that this life that I thought that I had for myself was no more. It was almost as if like the rug was being cruelly pulled out from underneath my feet and having to rebuild from that at a very young age. And then not only, I want to say maybe three years right after that is when I separated from my husband at the time. And it was just like, oh my God, why do these things keep happening? Where it is this kind of life that I thought I had for myself was going to get ripped from underneath my, uh, from my, from my feet. But it, it took time. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of self-work to realize that my identity was not tied in what I had lost. My identity did not have to be tied into these unfortunate things that happened to me. I could claim and I could evolve and I could pivot my life as I saw fit. The stories of the loss of my marriage and the stories of the loss of the stream that I had myself that I had for myself in the army at a very young age, that wasn't the end of the story. It was just kind of a plot change. And having to internalize that, thinking that, okay, well, you're not going to do that. That happened for a reason. And we all have a choice when things like that happen. And it's that, okay, do you want to become a victim to this? Or do you want to become a survivor and pivot and thrive in spite of what happened? When it is appropriate, I do like to share that story with, with my clients because I think that having to deal with that, with both of those kinds of losses at a very young age that put me in a position to build up that resilience and to be able to pivot and get that flexibility. And I'm not saying that it's been easy because it certainly hasn't, but I've had the years now, I mean, these, you know, the 15 years of looking back at that to think of if that much younger version of me knew where she would be now, I just wish I could go back and hold her and let her know that it would be, that it would be okay. And so I love to kind of impart that story of you are allowed regardless of what happened to you and regardless of what age it happened to you, you are allowed to evolve and you are allowed to change and you don't have to be a victim to that. You can take that and overcome that and use that to become a force for good. And so it's been hard though. That is, I won't lie. It's, it's taken years and years and years after the divorce and after that injury to realize that. But I think I'm, I'm in a place now that I can share that and use it to really kind of motivate and help the clients that, that have come to me who may have only recently experienced their world getting shaken. But I'd like to think that I'm a bit of a veteran because I've been working at that for <laughs> almost 20 years at this point. <laughs> 
Well, thanks, Martha. I really appreciate your story you. because it's something that you really can understand then what people are going through. Mm -hmm. So they must really enjoy hearing that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and it's not necessarily a train, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's not the, yeah, it's not the, um, the, the, the freight train coming at you that, no, that train is not, that's not coming for another two hours, but you just can't, you just can't sit there. You just can't crawl around. You do still have to get out of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> you did mention something about identity. And I know when people are married for a long time, their marriage is really their identity. They're being a mother, being a spouse. How do you help people move on and find their own identity? I mean, I know you told us about the four steps, but is there something specific you want to address with that? I think one of the things, because we do work a lot with that in the Lionheart methodology, if the listeners want to go and visit the website to check that out, when it is that Folks may have never even had the opportunity to find that other identity of themselves. It is a mindset shift of you are not giving up those identities that you've operated on. Nobody has said that your story of being a mother or your story of being a wife for that time in your life is erased because that time is over. But now I kind of see it as what is that next chapter? You were a mother, you were a wife, and you get to be this other thing. We are just adding on to this complex, beautifully woven tapestry that is a person's identity. And because a lot of times I think divorced women, especially if women who already have their, their kids out of the house and they kind of go, or they're retiring or whatnot, they kind of go through this identity crisis of, well, what am I now? Oh my gosh, because I have been operating on all these things society told me to do. And so that is definitely a part of the work that I do with my clients of, well, what do you want to be in addition to that? You don't have to erase that identity because we all operate on scarcity. That if I am not that, then what am I? That means all I I get erased. No, that means that you get amplified. And so a part of that, adding that identity is giving people structure and accountability and space to really kind of explore what is next for them. And so that is a work that I do with a lot of my clients is giving them a lot of homework and walking them through what are things that you would like to do. And I get a lot of pushback sometimes. Well, I don't know. I said, okay, well, by the end of the I've week, exactly <laughs> at the end of the week, you need to tell me three things that you are going to explore. Well, I don't even know where to start. Okay. Something I like to do is think about when you were little, was there something that you like to do that maybe you were told you could no longer do, or because you had responsibilities of being a wife or a mother, or you had to work things that you kind of had a set aside that you told yourself, I can revisit that. Do you find that um, sometimes that those things are like the arts? They're painting or sculpting or or singing or acting or something that's like not necessary. And I put that in air quotes. Right. Because right. it's not important to the family. So it's something they may love to do or writing or something. And it's like now they just have a diary or a journal. I kind of feel like whenever I work with people that that's kind of where they go back to. Yeah. Sometimes it's dancing or movement of some mm -hmm. sort. And it's not exercise, but it is exercise, but it's not sure. like going to the gym. It's something that they want to do. They used to love to do. Absolutely. And I would say about 95% of the time, it is going back to something that is more arts or creative driven. For example, I'm working with a client now whose kids have recently moved out. She, I think, has been divorced from her husband for about four years. She has her retirement in the next four years. She's trying to get ahead of the identity crisis. And she's like, well, I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is, but we have worked to, she realizes, well, I really used to like writing short stories when I was in college. 
And so we're exploring that with her. Another client, she has finally gotten back to something that she loved before she was a teenager when she had a lot more, like a lot more responsibilities put on her was the uh, watercolor painting. And so I have found that with most of my clients, it is something that fed their creativity, but life came in and society came in and told them that it was worthless or it was extravagant. Exactly. So really kind of getting them grounded in they have the permission to do that now. And it's almost kind of like they have the responsibility to do that now as well. And just like, hey, your responsibility is to have some fun. You think I can exactly. handle that? I know. <laughs> some people, people can't, like, but yeah. doesn't tell them, come on, it's for you this time. A lot of my clients, they are very resistant to it because it is something that's so new to them. And so they said, well, can you actually just, can, this, this homework's too hard. Can you have me fill in a whole bunch of templates instead? I'm like, no, you have to do the hard thing. You have to go and find three writing centers in your area. And you are going to pick two things from each of the writing centers and giving ourselves permission to have fun and to feed our soul and to stoke our curiosity, even if we're not good at something or we just haven't visited in years. It seems so simple, but it seems like that is the hardest thing for us to do. And when that's the hardest thing to me, that speaks to what is this conditioning then? that we need to undo in ourselves so we can rebuild something that is abundant, that is joyful. Because if we're having resistance to having fun, how are we going to have joy? How are we going to recover from divorce if we're not even able to do that? I used to call fun the F word. (laughs) (laughs) That's my F word, fun. I love it. I I didn't know how to let myself go. Although I did things that seemed fun, I didn't let myself go enough to feel the fun that I was having. Giving yourself that permission. Absolutely. And you're not going to have that joy. And I I, I said to one of my clients last week, I said, you know what? You can't white knuckle joy. I love it. You can't just will yourself into, I'm going to do this and I'm going to feel good. No, you have to just give yourself that permission to let go. What if I'm bad at it? It doesn't matter. It's almost like living in the now, living in the total present. Mm -hmm. So that's the only way you can really find joy and have fun is if you don't worry about the future, be anxious about the past. Worry does nothing. It doesn't do anything for you unless you change what's coming up because the worry is telling you to do that. It's like, let it go. Absolutely. It's really doing nothing but stopping you from being in the present moment and allowing yourself to enjoy where you're at. Absolutely. And it is kind of giving yourself permission and kind of internalizing that if it feels uncomfortable, that means you're probably doing it right. Because you're breaking out of that comfort zone. You're breaking out of those narratives that told you you can only do this, this, and this. And I think it is good sometimes to feel that discomfort and to get used to that discomfort because that is probably what is leading you the right way to have that post-divorce life of your dreams or to kind of break out of those patterns that are keeping you stuck and to actually have that feeling of the fulfillment and that joy in connecting to that. Do you find that there's a common obstacles that divorced women have in order to that stops them from finding their joy? I think the most common obstacle is that feeling of unworthiness. I've seen Mm. that, that a lot of women don't think that they deserve it, that they feel like that is only something that they should be able to have once they're retired or they like kick it down the road. But that is hands down that the women feel like they are not worthy of it. And so that is a mindset shift that we work so hard to, to deprogram. That's kind of the fact that that was such an easy question to answer makes me think that that is such a common issue with maybe not even divorced women. Well, and sometimes also, I think that's why we don't attract the right mate for ourselves, because we don't feel worthy of the one we really want, Mm -hmm. or we don't feel deserving of that kind of happiness. So then we draw to ourselves people that aren't necessarily all that happy. They don't make us all that happy, although it's really up to us have our own happiness. Absolutely. 
really internalizing your, your worth. It was at that old, um, was it a L'Oreal or kind of advertisement from the nineties that you're worth it. And we all are, and we deserve to have that joy and happiness and explore new things. Even if we're not good at it, even if it's not up to the standards of what we think society expects from us, no, go and do it for yourself because it's what you deserve. Yeah. It's funny because when I was trying to figure out I didn't want to go back to what I was doing before my divorce. Mm -hmm. So I really thought about it and I went, you know, I want a purpose. I want more than what I have had before. I want, and I don't have kids, so it's not like I make my kids my purpose, which you really can't do anyway. You can, people try, but they go off on their own after a while and they can't be your purpose anymore. That's true. So you have to kind of find more than that. And I decided to do the coaching and the connected joy and all that stuff because of the divorce. And I was led that way. But a lot of times people that come to me, that's what they're looking for. They're looking Mm -hmm. for, they want more in their lives. Mm -hmm. So they're going, where do I go from here? And I think that not only finding joy, but also finding purpose can really help people. Absolutely. Don't you find that purpose is important? Absolutely. And I don't think that those are mutually exclusive because what you find a lot of times is what is it that makes you happy? What is it that gives you a reason to wake up every morning that gives you that joy can also be your purpose. Not only can you, you can't white knuckle joy, you can't white knuckle your purpose. And that's not something you can force, but you have to have that engagement, that clarity comes through engagement. You have to explore what are the things that you like. You have to explore and read and reflect and engage in the things that are meaningful to you. And only then are you going to be able to find your purpose and your joy. Well, and I hate to wrap this up, but I know it's about that time. So I have one more question I usually ask my guests. absolutely. And that's the top three things you would tell either ladies or just anybody going through divorce that might help them take their action. I think there's a couple of things. One of the number one things is that nobody is going to save you. And so you are responsible for your own joy. You are responsible for your own happiness. And just sitting and waiting and thinking that you're going to get the reward because you've been the good girl, you are going to then be sitting and waiting and you're going to be disappointed. Number two is it is your right and your responsibility to create the life that you want. And so that's the second thing that nobody's just going to give it to you. There's no fairy godmother. You're your own darn fairy godmother. (laughs) And then another one, I think as well, the third one is that the clarity comes through engagement. You can sit and think and think, what is going to give me joy? What is going to give me purpose? But you actually have to go out and do the things. And it's okay to fail. But you have to go and do the things and immerse yourself in all of those activities that you're interested in. And you know what? Not all of them you're going to love. But you're going to find something that interests you that you're going to pursue, but you just can't sit and think about it. You have to go out and do it. And so I think those are the three things that would be kind of the uh, the parting words for not only women who are surviving and recovering after divorce, but anybody who finds themselves at a crossroads and is wondering what their next move is. Thank you. I know that I was thinking about that question and I had pretty much the same things. It's like, if you don't like your life, find an action step. Absolutely. Find some help if you need help. You know, call Martha. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is something that if anybody would like to know more about the uh, the work that I do, they are more than welcome to visit MarthaBodyFelt.com. When you're there, you can actually book a free next steps call. That is a complimentary call in 30 minutes. We identify what your biggest challenge is. And then whether we decide to work together or not, you will have an outline of what you can do next to start living the life that you deserve. That's great. And that they can sign up through your website? Absolutely. Absolutely. If y'all just would head over to MarthaBodyFelt.com. 
And you also have a free guide for overcoming the three most common obstacles that hold divorced women back. I think that's the title. Mm -hmm. So how can they get a copy? Is that also on the website? Just mosey on over to, we're we're really kind of learning my Wyoming roots here with the word um, mosey, but just mosey on over to (laughs) markthebodyfelt.com and you're going to find all of that information there. So we'd, we'd love to have everybody sign up and get that free guide. That's great. So and there's also that special offer I mentioned. So I bet you forgot about that. So Martha, she's offering a 15% discount on all her packages. That's 15% in case I didn't say that clearly to listeners of the Connected Joy podcast. So you can contact her through her website or her email, I'm assuming. Thank you, Martha, for doing that. Is that the way that they would get a hold of you? Absolutely. Just go ahead and you can just shoot me an email at Martha at survivingyoursplit.com. If you want to schedule a, an initial discovery call and we can figure out which one of my coaching packages work for you, then we will get you that 15% discount. Perfect. And you'll find all that information in the show notes links to both of our websites, my YouTube channel, and all of our social media links, as well as our emails I'll put in there. It'll be kind of a long notes. (laughs) My website is connecttojoy.com, just like this podcast. And Martha, as she said, is marthabodyfelt.com. If you would like to know more about life coaching with me, intuitive readings, or Marconic's multidimensional energy, either to receive the energy or to become a practitioner, reach out to me either by email or check it out through the website. I want to thank all of you for joining us here today. And especially, I want to thank my guest, Martha Bodyfelt. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So until next week, be courageous and reach higher. And remember, transformation is a journey, not an end destination. So be kind to yourself. Take one step at a time, get the help you need, and get out there and find your joy. You deserve it. And it's not as hard as you may think. It could even be a little bit of fun. Thank you for listening to Connect to Joy. If you love the show, make sure you rate, review, and share this podcast. And subscribe so you never miss an episode. Contact the host, Carol DeShane with questions and comments, ideas for future episodes, or if you would like to become a guest. And remember, transformation is a journey and not an end destination. So be kind to yourself, because you are already enough to have the joyful, limitless life that you desire.